0: Good evening, everybody. Welcome inside the Villanova Basketball Report. Live here on Bob Long Sports, my team, Kevin Long, Tom Trainer, alongside. No K-Mac tonight. We expect him back next week. But guys, welcome and excited for a good show here. Excited to talk about, for the first time, a Big East loss that Villanova had. And we can walk through some quick issues that they had. And really, we're going to look forward in this podcast Coming up in short fashion, this should be in your inboxes, on your iTunes feeds, and on YouTube by Wednesday morning. So tonight, it'll be a game against Marquette, a team that Villanova blew out in game one. Opportunity to move forward after a tough loss against St. John's, and a game that was closer than it should have been against Georgetown. Gentlemen, how are we doing this weekend? How are we feeling about Villanova basketball?
1: Hey, Bob, great to be on another week of Villanova Basketball Report here. Uh, Overall, you know, not thrilled with the past week. Obviously, the first Big East loss to St. John's was disappointing. Uh, But I think that was a really good St. John's team that we saw out there. I mean, Posh Alexander showed that he's going to be a force in this conference for years to come. And I think we saw some uncharacteristic basketball out of Villanova. I think we started out pretty well um, in the, the early portions of that game. Um and then we started just forcing up some bad shots. I saw saw a lot of bad looks from Colin Gillespie and Justin Moore. And then obviously the uncharacteristic turnovers from Colin Gillespie really hurt us down the stretch in that game. Overall, uh I'm not super concerned about how this team moves forward. I think I think it's more of a bump in the road. Uh I was a little bit concerned to see some of the same mistakes happening again against Georgetown, but Again, I, I think this team figures it out. I think we generally find one one blip, one bad week, even in some of our championship seasons, and uh, I think that's the case here. Now, you know, not saying that we're necessarily there or or this team is of that caliber, but uh, I don't think that this is something that Villanova basketball cannot recover from.
2: Well, I think uh, I don't know if there's such a thing as the podcast jinx. Um, but, I mean, we had talked about turnovers and turnover margin um, on our last show and how that was a strength of this team led by Colin Gillespie. Um, well, we saw that trend um, hit a brick wall uh, in a very hard way against St. John's. 17 turnovers, six of those by your point guard colin gillespie had only been averaging one a game they've only been averaging eight a game as a team now they're averaging nine of course um after that outlier and i think kevin is right i think it is exactly that it's a bit of an outlier um as kevin said even in our championship seasons, i'm sure we'll talk about the 2018 team who also lost to st john's even in your championship seasons there's always a head scratcher of a game in there right you, you come into the season you're you're thinking, uh, okay, Xavier is going to give us a tough go this year. Seton Hall always does. Uh, it's Creighton this year. They're the team um, who's rivaling going over this year. But there is always a head scratcher in there, and this was it. Um, I don't think it's a lot of cause for concern, but there are things that need cleaned up, and we can talk about that.
0: That's what we'll talk about in today's opening tip. Here we go. Alright boys, the first question is indeed that twenty eighteen loss against St. John's and to this this year's twenty twenty one that is loss against St. John. So three three years later, what loss was worse and why?
1: Well, I, I think to me the big factor was the 2018 loss was at home in the Wells Fargo center in front of a bunch of fans, you know, you know, in a normal environment. And this one was up at St. John's in a, in a very different environment, a very different year. We haven't even played in that arena since I don't even know when exactly the date is probably since earlier than 2000. Um, I, I was more concerned. Actually, I guess I would put it two ways. I think that, it was a bigger loss to St. John's in 2018 when we were ranked number one at home, and uh, I'm a little bit more concerned about this loss, just seeing how it went down, and some of the guys on this team are not necessarily as experienced as the guys were in 2018, so I would say worst loss was 2018, but more concerning loss was was this
2: year, 2021. Well, I think I think this year is both the worst and more concerning loss, and there is one main reason, and that is Shamori Pons. I mean, you knew playing St. John's back 20, 16, 17, 18, that you were going to have to deal with Shamori Pons, and he could go off on any given night. And we know that there is a lot of in a lot of a lot of times that's how teams have beat Villanova. They have that guy Rogi who goes off, um, or whoever it is who goes off. When you have a player who can go off. Um, at any given night, I'm um, not saying that was necessarily Roggy. Rag- I think it was probably more uh, Dougie McBuckets on that Creighton team, but it was Roggy that night, we all remember. The other reason I will say that this game is more concerning is the way the, these two games played out. If you remember that game in 2018, uh, St. John's built a lead, largely um, led by Shimori Pons, and Villanova crept back in the game and nearly stole a game that they had no business winning. Uh, Well, this past week, uh, St. John's, without a leading star scorer, was beating Villanova, one, by forcing Villanova to commit dumb mistakes and turn the basketball over. That's a different way of losing. Um, But also, Villanova never really went on a run. you were always waiting, anticipating some type of run. But they just kept committing mistake after mistake after mistake digging themselves a hole and really couldn't get back in the ball game, which I think is a, is a cause for concern.
0: I'll say this. Uh, I don't really care what happened in 2018. I mean, I know the question is about that 40 minutes, but the story has been written. They won the national championship, uh, arguably the the most dominant team in the two thousands of college basketball. So yeah, it was a bad loss, but they had also seen John's had beaten Duke that week. I'm not too worried about this one. This game. Yeah. You know, I think it's something where uh, we've been hinting at it for weeks here. I'm begging for them to just blow a team out and, and they did it against Marquette right before the stoppage due to COVID, but they just haven't blown a lot of teams out this year. And I would like to, to see Villanova, I think as a fan of Villanova, a fan would like to see Villanova blow out a team that is inferior to them in talent, discipline and execution. And it hasn't happened as consistently as it should. And I don't know that necessarily the way St. John's is playing should Villanova blow them out seven times out of 10. I don't know, but, but they should win nine out of those 10 games. And maybe this was one of the 10 that they lost. Um, But so I find it tough to compare 2018 and this one. Now the next question we got is um, we're going to pull it back from Villanova a little bit and talk some big five. Let's talk about John Cheney, the death of John Cheney this past week, unfortunately, a living, well, was a living legend. And now, unfortunately, no longer with us, but what he did with that temple program took them all the way to number one, made them a force nationally. And uh, he will always be remembered for that. What he did in Philadelphia, quick thoughts from the group on John Cheney, his legacy.
2: Um, I mean, it's just a, a person who I think had as much impact on college basketball, not just in the Philadelphia area, but nationally, um, as, as a coach or anyone can have without having ever won a national championship or been to a final four, um, just a man who you heard time and time again was more of a teacher of life. Um, for, and a mentor for uh, the young men that he coached um, and just so gracious with his time. Um, and his job really was his, his life and his passion, and, and that was his kids. Um, and everybody he seemed to come in contact with in the course of his life has had great things to say about him. Um, and just even even Kevin Nagandi, I know, on ESPN, who's a proud Temple Owl. Um, talking his story about the first time he went to a practice as a student reporter and John Chaney pulled him aside and had a long conversation with him, asking about where he was from and his family and stuff. Um, So just a guy who had a great impact clearly on everybody who he came in contact with and everybody that knew him. Um, And I think just from all of the outpouring of condolences and love and support and kind words you heard across the college basketball landscape just really showed how much of an impact um, he had.
1: Yeah, clearly a guy who had earned the respect of of not only just the city of Philadelphia, but the entire NCAA college basketball landscape uh, truly was a a legend at Temple for for so many years. Um, And and for a guy to have earned the the respect of of really every big five team in in Philadelphia and, and, and across college basketball really speaks to his character more so as a person than, than even as a head coach, although he had a, a great career as a head coach. But uh, truly a, a devastating loss for the college basketball world. He'll be missed uh, for, for a long, long time.
0: Yep, I would agree with all of that. I would just reiterate what I said at the jump of what he did to that Temple program, how it is thought of nationally, and that he was a huge part of that. And uh, and certainly he will be missed. uh, One of those legends in the big five. It's known for its great coaches. John Chaney right there at the top of the list. So from the big five back to the big east question was this conference this year. Teams are beating each other up. Villanova was the number three team in the country. They dropped a little bit last week, which is interesting in its own right honestly, because I think six of the top 10 teams lost this week. Nonetheless, what is the state of the Big East Conference? Uh, Is this an overrated Big East Conference from where we sat in mid-November, or is there something else at play? I think
1: overall this this, this is an ideal year for Big East basketball, and and the reason why I say that is because – you have some of these conferences such as, you know, the ACC and, and the SEC, you know, the Kentuckys of the world who have long uh, benefited from the one and done players. They get, you know, five of the top 100 players in in every ranking class uh, to come to their school. Uh, They're able to coach them up throughout the course of the year. And by March they're playing it well as a team together and they're ready to make a run. And, and that just has not been the MO of the Big East for a very long time. The, the Big East, excluding maybe Villanova in, in 2018, has had a lot of players who have stayed for you know, all four years or at least three years of their career. And uh, these teams are very good because they know how to play well together and they know each other well. So I think uh, so far this year, the Big East is outperforming my expectations. I think, you know, I don't think this is the case where the Big East is is not a good conference and that's why everyone's kind of falling back towards the middle. I think this really could be a big year for this conference to to show out in the NCAA tournament as long as we can get uh enough of our teams into the into the March Madness
2: here. Yeah, I- <laughs> I don't know. I mean, Ke- Kevin, you mentioned that this might be a great year for the Big East, uh, maybe to capitalize on something. Um, but I, I don't know that they are capitalizing on something. And Bob alluded to the idea of cannibalizing each other. Um, I mean, you look down the conference standings, and at, I mean, after Villanova, Creighton's 10 and 4, Xavier has been on hiatus um, for a while now. And the best record you'll see is around 500. Um, but I think that's part of what we expected this season. So I guess, Kevin, you said they, they've exceeded expectations this year. I would say they've met my expectations this year, which weren't very high. Um, and I say that because, yes, we had Creighton and Marcus Zagorowski. Uh, we knew that that would be a force to be reckoned with this year. The they team to challenge Villanova, so to speak. Um, sure, there's Mamu at Seton Hall, and people were curious about UConn returning. But this year, we didn't have the Xavier juggernaut. Seton Hall, not as good as they've been, and I would say maybe even underperforming um, as well. Um, Providence, still a tough team, but not performing at a high level we've seen. Uh, Marquette seems to have relapsed a little bit this year. Um, And then obviously Georgetown has not figured out, and Butler this year um you know flipping a new page and and um, a lot of new faces on their roster so i think this year in some ways you're right kevin this might have been a year odd year in college basketball covid generally uh, maybe the big east which you seems to be a consistent league um capitalizes but i i didn't expect much from this year didn't know what to expect um this year and now i think the question is well, we're used to seeing what five or six teams make the ncaa tournament from the big east um And looking at the list, now it's hard to say because you have teams like Xavier, like UConn, like in every conference, you know, that are going to be way behind the number of games played, probably when it's all said and done. How does the committee um, reconcile those numbers in their decision making? Um, But I mean, looking at this, is this only a three-team tournament year? Um, And do we consider that a down year? I, don't I, think know.
0: The an- I think the answer is no. I think right now six teams ha- have a realistic shot to get in. Um, I think Villanova, Creighton are in. I think Xavier is in as of right now. You know they got to play a couple more games, but they were 7-0 out of conference and they're third technically from a percentage standpoint at 4-2 in the Big East. That, I know their schedule wasn't great in the non-conference, but that's good enough to get in for me. Seton Hall at eleven and eight. I think they're going to be one of those either first four in, or one of the last teams to not get a buy. Um, who knows what's going to happen with a team like Penn State? But I think that huge comeback by Seton Hall against Penn State is going to be enormous, with both teams kind of hanging on the edge of the bubble. Uh, UConn, I think they're in. You know, they they were just three and zero out of conference. They're five and four. You know, I think they're going to find a way here. Uh, injuries are going to be you know part of the story, right? How do they finish up? And then St. John's. So they're 13 and seven, seven and six in the Big East. They've won five straight, and they were six and one out of conference. I think they're in.
2: And Uh, now they have a huge resume. Yeah.
0: No doubt. You know, Marquette, nine and 10 overall. Providence, nine and 10 overall. Butler, six and 10. That's where it falls off. But I think very realistic to um, expect that all six of those teams have a chance in the last month of the season here to earn their way into the ncaa tournament so i think the answer to this question or an answer to this question is um yeah it's a weird year but really it comes down to non-conference play non-conference play did not allow for the same matchups the same same type of scheduling that uh teams would normally and otherwise do and so trying to mince and parse resumes is going to be really difficult the other thing to think about is that you know Kentucky's not going to make the NCAA tournament. Um, UCLA is playing better, but you know some of these big time programs. Obviously, Kansas is going to make the tournament, but they're struggling. Duke is struggling. Duke may not make the tournament. So, yeah, the the Big East doesn't look so good, but because every one of these games was, in most cases, right, most of these games were in conference it's so much tougher to delineate and we don't have that cross section of reality to really identify resumes, conference to conference. So that leads to our next question, which is what happened to the blue bloods? Is this a 2020, 2021 thing, or is this a sign of the times going forward? Duke, North Carolina, UCLA, Kansas, uh, Indiana, although they've been down over time, Kentucky, uh, what's going on with the Blue Bloods? Well,
1: I, I think you guys know what I'm going to say here based on my last answer, but I, I think this is a blip on the radar this year. Again, these kids had no preseason to practice together with each other. Most of them just got together for the first time in October and started playing games within a week. And and we've seen over the years Kentucky teams that have taken all year to come together going into the NCAA tournament as an eight seed, but knowing that they have all the talent in the world and, and they finally put it together in March and, and they're one of the best teams in the nation at that point. And you put that schedule back by three or four months by, by not allowing these kids to practice together in the summer. <clears throat> I think that's truly what's happening with these blue bloods here right now. Uh, I fully expect that they will all be back next year or you know, maybe, maybe even the year after that, maybe it it takes a full another cycle for them to go through and, and have a full round of practice with each other before they're truly back. But I think this is just a strange year for the college basketball landscape, especially for those schools that have benefited from the one and done.
2: So in one sense, Kev, I'm going to agree with you. I think uh, we made this point earlier this year on this show, um, it was something I had heard urban Meyer say on a college uh, football halftime show, uh, which was that great teams might be hurt more because of COVID and quarantine and stoppages, because great teams thrive on habits and routine. And so when that comes into play and routines, habits get thrown off, um, that's going to hurt great teams, maybe more than other teams, uh, kind of counterintuitively, um, which was an interesting point. Um, Obviously, I don't know that we saw that in college football season. Alabama is still in the national championship and they're you know, playing Clemson uh, and Ohio State on the, in the final in the college football playoff there. But um, with that said, I think there is something to your point about um, teams that rely on one and done's not having as much time this year to prepare um, with these breaks, two or three week breaks that teams have to have when they go through COVID issues not having as much time to gel or build on the progress a Kentucky might otherwise make during the course of a season. Um, however, I will say that I don't know that this is just a blip. Um, I Well, when's the last time, first of all, UCLA was relevant? Um, what, 2008 maybe? Uh, Mick and-
0: Cronin though, baby. Mick Cronin. <laughs> More
2: consistent than – uh what,
0: what what's it again more consistent than a few good men on a rainy sunday mr well, john
2: rothstein <laughs> well mickey cronin i would say maybe he'll bring some fire and passion to los angeles because that's what that program might need um but uh but indiana you mentioned um michigan state i don't know if many people would say they're blue blood they've probably been as consistent as anybody maybe um but um but I think that we've seen this trend. Obviously, the buzzword in college basketball for the past decade has been parity. And I think if you look at college basketball by decade, for example, so these teams we mentioned—what Duke, UNC, Kentucky, Kansas—we'll throw in Michigan State for the sake of argument because they're getting lumped in with those teams that aren't currently in the top 25. If you look at if you take a decade by decade, and you look at the 90s, six. Out of those 10 teams, won a national championship. Look at the next decade, first decade of the thousands, five out of those 10 teams won a national championship. Past decade, we just had four of those teams. We just mentioned won a national championship. That's one less team per year. Now I know any historian or statistician will tell you breaking things up in just chunks, uh, arbitrary chunks like decades um, will cause problems. But uh, because there was one time, I think, what, two thousand eight, nine and 10, where uh, those teams won three in a row. Um, But with that point stated, I do wonder if this accelerates this parity process. Uh, I'm not saying there's going to be a new blue blood. I'm wondering if blue blood will exist. I'm wondering if something like COVID accelerates this process in that top recruits that might think of doing a one and done year decide, you know what? I'm going to go play my basketball overseas. I'm going to go make money for a year elsewhere. That's a better option than going to college. Um, who knows how much longer COVID still might be an issue next year. Unfortunately, we don't know. Um, so I just wonder if that is this accelerates some of those processes. I don't know if we'll see new blue bloods emerge. Like people have mentioned, when does Villanova become blue blood, for example? I don't know if we see that happen. I think maybe this accelerates the parity process that might already happen.
0: Yeah, so two ways I'll go with this. Because you mentioned Michigan State, I happened to hear on the broadcast tonight you're talking about Josh Langford, who's been a very good player, thousand point score for Michigan state. He's had injuries, a guy that stuck it out to his senior year. If you would have asked people his freshman year, the thought was he probably would have moved on early that senior class right now. If nobody moved on would have been Nick Ward, miles bridges, Cassius Winston. Is that any good? <laughs> My goodness, right? So interesting about the one and done process and how does it affect team. Interesting enough about did these guys not have enough time to practice this year? And is that what's going on? More veteran teams are doing better. But truly, when I look at this situation, it is a bit confounding to me. Because if you look at college football, for example, there has never been less parity in college football it is three programs and everybody else now college basketball is run by the same set of written and unwritten rules as college football if you look at the sports economic side of it supply demand constraints the constraints that are apparent in professional sports a draft a salary cap neither of those are part of the equation in college sports Draft? No. Alabama can sign the 10 best five-star recruits in the country if they want. No. Kentucky can sign the four best kids in the class for basketball if they wanted and decided, the kids decided to go there. And so when we talk about opportunity cost, right, that's what the draft is and that's what the salary cap is. Your opportunity cost of bringing on Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence next year to duke it out for your starting quarterback position at the NFL level. The constraint there is both the draft, right? So you don't have those picks. You could trade up for one, but then you're going to have monster salaries early on. Again, that's more so for your veterans. But again, the salary cap is your constraint, so that you can't bring on Aaron Donald, Patrick Mahomes, and the best receiver in the league, Stefan dig, let's just say, right. Or Deandre Hopkins. So uh, college basketball should not have true parity. It should be very similar to college football in that the opportunity cost to bring in the last guy on your roster and the first guy on your roster is exactly the same. There's no salary cap. There's no draft order. So with that, as it will, why Why is it like this? And I think it's because there's only five guys on the court for one. There's no bifurcation of offense versus defense. Everybody's playing the entirety of the floor. Uh, And I think it's the fact that high school basketball is so deep right now that there are enough really good players that there's not, this, say, a market drop-off from one year to the other. And you know what? Sometimes there's going to be ten really good kids. Kentucky's going to get three. Duke's going to get two. And that's what that four-year class, maybe two-year, one-year class, is going to look like. And those are the teams that are really successful. Then there are other times where Kentucky thinks they have this monster recruiting class led by a guy like Quade Green from Newman-Garetti. And all of a sudden, you know what? We love Quade, great kid, but he wasn't a one-and-done guy. He transferred out playing for Washington right now. And so uh, sometimes you get the top recruits in high school and it's that particular class, that crop of guys is not ready to go win a national championship. So I do believe it's a blip. Next year you might have it where there's a bigger drop-off amongst the top 30 or so guys. And Duke, North Carolina, Kansas, and Kentucky will get their outsized source of them. Uh, and maybe it'll be those four programs we're talking about next year.
1: Well, the one thing I will say to counter your point there, Bob, is, is the one constraint you're missing in basketball versus football is the years that you have to stay there so if you're Alabama you get the top recruits in the country that year you know you have them for three years and and that's the the clear difference between college basketball and college football and we've seen Duke and Kentucky take the route of I'm going to get the best guys knowing full well that I'm going to have to restock next year and you know you see a team like Villanova who maybe takes a little bit different approach now we you know we've had Sadiq leave. We've we're going to see Jer- uh, Jeremiah leave this year, most likely. Maybe even a Justin Moore. So you know it's it's sort of starting to change for Villanova as well. But as a as a college basketball program, you need to make that decision. Am I going to go after the best guy that I think is going to be one and done, or do I take this guy that maybe is a little bit raw, but I think I can get three, maybe four years out of him? So I think. I think that's where the parity comes into the in college basketball versus college football.
0: Well, and it's a good point. I actually think you were really close to something else too that um, I'll say I didn't consider as strongly, which is the reason that Alabama, the, the three years, the three years isn't important because those guys are necessarily contributing all three years. The three years is important because most of those guys aren't going to play their freshman year and they take a year or two, to build up to what college athletics requires compared to high school sports. And in basketball, uh, they don't have that luxury. Now, I could argue counter to that, that it's not as necessary to compete at the college level of basketball. The jump physically isn't that pronounced relative to college football. I think it is certainly pronounced, but not as much. So that's the point that I think you were really close to. And I think that makes a lot of sense. And it's something that I could have and should have, highlighted in my take
2: i think we're both i think you're both missing uh one the the main reason as to why there's the difference and that is that basketball is growing football is not um parents don't want their kids to play football anymore due to concussion issues um mainly and and various other injuries mainly concussion and and, uh, and everything that's happened with that over the past few years um, whereas basketball has just grown and grown and grown. Um, and so I think, think that the, I think I think that the talent, I think that the, the talent um, you know between a blue blood program and between name, any big East team, um, just isn't that great. Uh, that that gap just isn't that great. I think there's just more people playing way more people playing basketball than there are playing football. and I think that gap is widening. And so I think you, the talent level at the top uh, for college basketball is just that much closer, um, just by sheer numbers. Um, I mean, I sure, you, sure, you see, you sure you see Duke, Kentucky, Kansas, UNC lead the recruiting rankings every year. But I'm saying that those teams and that talent isn't that much different than the talent that an Alabama is getting versus an Iowa. Hmm. That, that a Clemson is getting versus a Pitt. Uh, I, you know, the, the talent that a Duke gets versus a, the talent that a Seton Hall get or a Xavier or a Creighton gets, and then compound that with the rules that Kevin just mentioned, put those two things together, and I think you have a recipe for the parody um, versus an
0: Interesting. Non-patry. So you think there's enough of a, a significance of numbers that that is the driving force less. So like that basketball programs only bring in three, maybe four recruits a year and football 25. You you think it's kids just aren't playing football.
2: Absolutely. I mean, how how many, how many, I mean, you're young adults. How many of your friends have you talked to? And they said, yeah, my kid's not going to play football. Even cousins of mine, even cousins of mine who play college football, aren't going to let their kids play football. I get it. Um, And I mean, Kevin, Kevin's a big guy. Kev play football. Um, I don't know, Kev, did you play wee football at all? I, I did not. <laughs> did play, well, not and I also, like, play. yeah, And I mean, how many of these guys, um, you can't tell me that a lot of these guys, look at Caleb Daniels, and you know, we mentioned him being a linebacker, Javon Pinkston, couldn't have been Division One football players, right? They, they're bigger than any defensive end you got out there. Um, yet, here they have, and they are playing basketball instead of football. Um, I just, not to say they didn't grow up playing football at some point, but basketball has become their sport. And I know a lot of athletes are making the basketball decision. LeBron James, it is the safer sport and the longevity is there uh, to play basketball mm. over football.
0: Very interesting. I, I don't, uh, I, I can't say I agree that it's the biggest factor because there's still a lot of kids playing football. I think, you know, all the reasons we talked about, right. Kids getting more physically um, mature in their second and third year in football, Uh, making that leap versus not having the opportunity to do so in basketball. I actually think the uh, college football playoff only being four teams and the reduction of the importance of other bowls, I I think that's huge as well because Alabama, Clemson, and Ohio State get millions of dollars of free publicity every year. Like I I haven't noticed that the quality of football in college football has dropped, even amongst mid-level teams. Um, I would argue that it's gotten – increased from a parity standpoint because they've reduced scholarship levels so tom osborne and nebraska aren't aren't grabbing 119 guys and pulling this kid who was a guy that could maybe play for him but probably won't uh only so their rival at colorado won't get him like that stuff isn't happening anymore so yeah it's not as much parity as college basketball but I, i think it's more than it has been I'll say this at the top, it's less in the mid. I think it's more than it has been historically.
1: I also think it's much more difficult in football to, to have a a David versus Goliath situation. You think about basketball, you can have one guy on the floor out of five, take over a game. Just like we talked about the Villanova St. John's game back in 2018, you can have a Shomori Pond take over a game and win it. And you know, the most recent example I'm going to use for football is actually the Super Bowl. You think about Patrick Mahomes, the guy is is superhuman, and he can take over a game at any point. But when his offensive line could not do anything, and his D-line is getting overpowered, there's nothing that that one guy can do. And and the same can be said for Alabama going up against, a, you know, a non-conference opponent or a, a bottom of the SEC opponent. Their D-line is going to overpower their offensive line if they have a stud quarterback it's not going to make a whole bunch of a difference so if if you have all the best players in the country playing on the same team i would say you have a better shot of of beating that team in basketball than you would
0: in football i think we've solved all the world's problems guys that's a good conversation very enjoyable good stuff that's the opening tip here tonight and, uh, next up, we're going to send it to our buddy, Kevin long. Who's going to take us through our cat in the wild.
1: All right. Thanks Bob. So today we are going to go across the big pond here. We're going to go over to Moscow for our cat in the wild. And that is Darren Hilliard have not heard from him in a little while, but, uh, like I said, he's playing in, uh, Moscow in the BTB United league, uh, and he on Sunday scored 38 points on 11 of 17, including six of 11 from three. So uh, a really great game from him, and you know, one of the guys that really does not get quite the credit that he deserves for his time at Villanova. He never he left just before they won their national championship, but really fostered in that new culture when the the team was in turmoil and those. 2011-2012 seasons uh, really helped turn the tides there and, uh, you know, got drafted by the Pistons in 2015, but never stuck around too, too long. But really good to see him having a little bit of success overseas now.
0: Very good. Yes. Darren Hilliard, uh, an all-timer for me, for Villanova. His senior year, he was absolutely incredible. You mentioned just missing out on that, national championship team to this day. I contend that that team is every bit as good as the 2016 team. They really were between Javon Pinkston and Darren Hilliard. Now it's, it's kind of tough to account for how much better did Chris Jenkins get? How much better than Josh did Josh Hart get? Um, although who's pretty darn good the prior year, but Hart becomes an all American. Um, you know, of course, Ochefu and Arch, all those guys get a year better, but not having Darren Hilliard, was also something that, I mean, that team was, was better when he was on it. Right. So all things considered it, Darren Hilliard, it's unfortunate that that NC state loss is probably as heartbreaking of a loss as a Villanova fan can probably stomach to remember, but that team was really darn good and was a start of things to come.
2: Yeah. One of the sweetest and smoothest looking jump shots you will ever see that that lefty stroke of, Darren Hilliards, and I think one of the most exciting finishes to a game I've seen uh, in my Villanova uh, history is uh, that three-pointer in Hinkle at Butler. Yeah, Nice play by him in arch to sink that three just before the buzzer. Um, But uh, but yeah, good to see him doing well overseas. I remember um, he was my little sister's favorite player, and I bought her his uh, jersey when he became a rookie on the Detroit Pistons. Um, she still has that jersey, and it's a big reason she's number four when she's playing high school basketball these days is Darren Hilliard. So uh, great choice in my eyes. Kev. Glad to get a uh, update on Darren Hilliard. Yeah, an under-recruited
0: kid, huh? Those blue bloods. Go ahead. Take your five stars. We'll take Darren Hilliard out of Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, and uh, he'll become a stud by his senior year. Good stuff there, Kevin. All right, so no K-Mac tonight. I, th- I think we're going to put a pause on our trivia, unless anybody has anything they'd like to throw at us right now.
2: Couldn't think of one.
0: Yeah. We'll get him next week. K-Mac falling asleep at the wheel, but on to the shoot around.
2: Yeah. All right, Bob time for the shoot around. It's our weekly shout out moment where we shoot out anything or shout out anything rather from Villanova Basketball World, or Philadelphia Basketball World, or nothing to do with basketball at all. Um, but this week, I am going to start uh, with something we've already mentioned in, in the show, which is on the hearts and minds of all Philadelphians and everybody in the college basketball world, and that is the passing of John Chaney. Um, and John Chaney, uh, somebody who is uh, dear to my heart and my memories as a child, um, when I was growing up in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, um, Quincy Watley, who was a star on that 2001 Temple team that went to the Elite, elite Eight until they fell to eventual national champions Michigan State, um, was from our parish in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and his family would organize bus trips uh, a few times a year to come down to the Leicor Center in Philly from Harrisburg to watch Quincy play. Um, and I'll never forget um, after the game, seeing Coach Cheney mingle with people and chat. Um, even after a heated game, and and it's it's interesting. I know my father, who does not tend to uh, take a liking to coach coaches who are extra fiery on the sidelines or seem to have the mouth of a sailor at times. But for whatever reason, he always liked John Cheney. And anytime he saw that tie, you know, come undone and that jacket get thrown off, you know, and, and he he'd be sweating it sweating as much as any of his players on the court um you just see the passion in his eyes and so to, to hear um to know all of that and to hear players uh, speak so highly of him um after his passing especially Quincy Watley who I think I said something pretty profound who was quoted um as saying you can you can see in the sons of the players that John Chaney coached You can see their kids, so their sons playing today, and you can see the lessons that John Chaney taught their fathers in the way their kids play, um, none more so than Jalen Brunson. And so I thought that said a lot um, about John Chaney and his lasting legacy through his players and their kids.
1: That's a great story, Tom. Um, I am going to go a little different route. I'm going to shout out the Loyola Chicago Sister Jean Ramblers uh, for being ranked for the first time in 35 years. Now, everyone remembers their great tournament run, uh, which led them to the final four in 2018, uh, but they were never actually ranked. Uh, obviously, there were an 11th seed going into that. So uh, have had not eclipsed that mark, but now they are ranked, and they have a big doubleheader coming up this weekend against uh, Drake, who was ranked just last week before their loss to Valparaiso. So, big matchup in the Missouri Valley here. You got uh, a one-loss Drake team going up against a, a three-loss uh, Loyola Chicago team. So, if you're in the market for some mid-major college basketball action, that is the matchup to watch this weekend. Uh, really excited to see these two teams go at it. And we may end up with two Missouri Valley conference uh, tournament teams uh, at the end of the day here.
0: Good stuff there, Kevin. My shout out today, I'm going to take us to the high school basketball ranks. And those of you that follow us pretty closely here at Bob Wong sports know that we broadcast a lot of high school sports football for LaSalle uh, basketball for LaSalle as well. We do some college stuff. A lot of that is put on pause. D3 and some, some hockey stuff is put on pause at the college level. But what I have seen this year and how schools have been able to very quickly pivot and put a streaming service in place for all of their games and for the parents of the kids, it has been phenomenal. Uh, special shout out to those schools that are doing it for free and offering it to folks to watch for free. Uh, I think that's very important. I've been long saying if every school had a broadcast, the game would be spread tenfold. And that's including when there are fans in the stands, but Philadelphia Catholic league basketball, for example, and we'll winnow it down there is special. And the ability to watch these kids that are eventually going to go play for Villanova, and Kentucky and the university of Miami and these other types of schools nationally, it's really great to be able to watch them play at a high school level. The Catholic league is one of the best leagues in the country, bar none. So I give a lot of those schools credit again, special shout out to those that are doing it for free uh, for, for the benefit of their constituents and constituents beyond I um, you know, it's a weird year for us. We're not able to go on the road, and broadcast the various LaSalle games because of personnel and 10% capacity. And we totally get that. Uh, We look forward to meeting more of our colleagues when they come on the road to broadcast for their constituents at LaSalle. And when we go on the road to broadcast in their building for the LaSalle constituency. But I watched Archbishop Carroll host LaSalle and they had a student run broadcast that was really, really good. And, And I think that's the future. COVID maybe thrust us in a little quicker than anybody was comfortable with, but I tip my hat to the ADs of these schools and I look forward to the future where, yeah, you know what Newman grade against wood, it might be sold out in the future, but you're going to be able to watch it on a stream and hopefully a free one. I think that's great for everybody involved, specifically the kids and specifically for the Philadelphia Catholic league. All right, boys. So there's our show here tonight. Any thoughts before we get out of here?
1: No more thoughts for me.
0: Uh, I'm, all, I'm all out of thoughts. Tapped Bob. out.
2: All oh, it out. Um, just looking forward to hopefully a full slate of Villanova basketball games this week. Knock wood. Hope I didn't just jinx it, but uh, looking forward to more Bill- Villanova basketball.
0: Kevin Long, Tom Trainer, with us here on the Villanova Basketball Report. Mac, out fishing. He'll be back next week. Enjoy, everybody.